Man, I'm so glad that you're here. I, I really am. Glad you're here. I look around and I see some amazing people uh, in this room. Uh, it was 21 years ago that I came to this church to be a part of Anthem. And I remember this room looked a lot different. I remember we were getting ready to do a remodel project. We just heard that we were going to remodel this room. And I was, I was, I was feeling pretty good about myself. And so uh, somebody said that. And I was standing by the corner. And I remember there, I think it might have been that wall. I kicked a hole in that wall when they said we're going to remodel it. And I thought, well, I, can, I got this. I kind of showed up a little bit. And they said, yeah, we're going to start in about three months. And so I moved the table and the hole in the wall. Lots happened in this room. A lot of lives have been changed. And I pray that today that, that something would happen in you. And um, I said there are some incredible people in the room. I think um, the most incredible person in the room is my wife, Fawn. We've been married for 21 years. Come on. Which, uh, which means I married her when she was three years old. And... Because uh, she only looks like she's in her... Never mind. And uh, Pastor Chase and Holly Merrill, man, what a joy it is to partner with you in ministry. Uh, we are so grateful that the Lord brought you here. And we learn from you, watching how God works through your lives so much every day, in and out. And uh, it's an honor and privilege to be, to be on the same team. Um, I see some other people in the room. The Jameses in the back. This is an amazing couple back here. Love the way you're pouring your life out. For the next generation, uh, Wesley and Amanda and Lauren and Sano, my man Sano over here, just pouring his life out. And that's Evan in the back. So many others that, that I can't plant, and Manuel and Charlene and Dave and, and so many more. I can't, uh, I can't even name but But I want you to know this is a place that we really believe in you. We believe in the family of God. We believe that we need each other. And I'm not just here to say something to you. I'm here to experience something from God the Father with you. Yeah. Let me say it again. I'm not here to say something to you. I'm not a teacher. Yeah. But I'm here to experience something with you. I, I hope that today I'm just a vessel that, through which God can do something. Because my words, they're really not that important. But if God, if God, if God imparts something to you, that'll change your life forever. And that's what I'm hoping for. And that's what I'm praying for tonight. So just real quick, I want to find out, uh, on the count of three, I just want you to shout out what school you're from. Okay, ready? One, are you ready? Do you need a second to think about it? Okay, on your mark, get set, go. Listen, you, you young men and women, you're growing up in a world that is looking for ways to divide us. It is. It's looking for ways to divide us and point out the things that divide us and highlight the things that divide us. But there's something about people who can look beyond that which divides us to that which can unite us. To, to somebody who stood above all the, all the bigotry and all the racism and and all the disenfranchisement and, and all the different things, the one that came, and he loved all equally. And really, at this church, we want to walk not in the footsteps of the church, not in the footsteps of religion, but we want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. It's not about religion. It's not about church. It's about Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're all about. Two of the other favorite people that are in the room right now are my Two oldest sons, Samuel and Andrew Kobler. I love you boys. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And uh, it's a privilege to be here. And uh, um, to my boys, if I tell a story you've heard before, I've got 10 bucks if you pretend like it's the best and first time you've ever heard it. <laughs> and if I embarrass you, um, well, just get ready. <laughs> Today I have the privilege of talking to you about slaying the giants of anxiety and depression. And I think that it probably for most of us doesn't come as a shock that this is an issue worth talking about. 
And that we live in a day and an age where those words are used often, where many of us are wrestling with anxiety and depression. And as I come to you today, I don't come as an expert, and I certainly don't come as somebody that has it all together. And, and today I want to do four simple things. Number one, I want to tell you a little bit of my story. The second thing that I want to do is I want to, I want to point out that, that everybody is broken. Number three, I want to suggest to you, and maybe you don't want to hear this, but I want to suggest to you that pain might be one of the best things that could ever happen to you. And number four, I want to finally, I want to talk to you about a hope, uh, but not just any hope, I want to talk to you about an unseen hope. So I want to talk to you, I want to tell you a little bit of my story, everybody's broken, pain is good, unseen hope. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help me in the next few minutes to get out of the way and to allow you to do what you want to do in our hearts and lives today. Lord, today it's not about a person, it's about Jesus. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would bridge the gap between that which we can just know about and that which we can experience. Because today, we've, we've not come just to learn about God. We've come to experience yeah. a relationship yeah. with God. And we can't get there on our own. We can take a step, but we need you to do what we can't do. Yeah. So we invite you into this place. It's in Jesus' name and everybody who believes said. Amen. So it was probably um, 10 years ago when my wife and I came back to Living Water when... We were invited to come and be a part of a transition plan to become the senior pastors, the lead pastors here at Living Water, and we came back, we were pretty excited about that. We came back, started working hard, doing all the things that we were supposed to do, um, loving people, learning, growing. We were being mentored by Pastors Burton and Jan, and it was, it was one of the greatest privileges of our life. And it was probably four or five years into that journey where the pressure, uh, the pressure started to build up. Three, four years into the journey, I started to realize what I was getting myself into and how ill-equipped and unprepared I actually was to do what was set before me. And I remember every day I would come to work and I would look at all the things that needed to get done. And I would look at some of the people who had gone before me. I would look at my hero, Pastor Bert, and the way he did things. And every day I was reminded how I didn't really measure up to the way he did it or to the success of other people. And day after day, because maybe because I grew up in a military family, maybe because I grew up playing sports, when I saw that challenge, I thought, what I need to do is work harder and prove myself. Anybody ever felt like that before? Yeah. Anybody know how to grind? Like any, yeah. no, wait, I know that you need to do pushing, but you just have to go. I know there's some volleyball players in the house, right? My sister's a volleyball player. That makes me the brother of a volleyball player. So <laughs> uh, and I just worked harder and harder and harder. The problem was no matter how much harder I worked, and even the things that I was accomplishing, it didn't make me feel any better about, about who I was. And I remember I'd come home at the end of the day, and I started coming home earlier and earlier in the day. I'd come home, and I'd say, I'm just going to work from home for the rest of the afternoon. And then when I got home, oftentimes I'd tell my wife, I just, I'm not feeling good. I need to go lay down. But the reality was I wasn't working from home, and I wasn't tired, and I didn't lay, need to lay down. The reality was the weight and the pressure of all of that was building up so much that, that, that all I could do was get in bed and pull the covers over my head and just wait. And after a couple of weeks of that, I had come home early at the end of the week, and I had gone into my office at the house, and I was so overwhelmed with everything that was in front of me and felt so insignificant, so insecure, like such a failure, that I just put my head on my desk and I started to cry. And I just cried. After a little while, my wife walked into my office, and uh, she kind of put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, 
what's wrong? And I said, I don't know. Because <laughs> I couldn't put words to what was going on inside my soul. I just knew that I couldn't go on the way things were. And I don't know if you've ever been in that spot or you know somebody who's been in that spot, but that's the real deal. I was, it was one of the scariest times of my life realizing that, that I was in a place where the hole seemed so deep I couldn't even see the light at the top and I didn't know where or how to even begin to get from here to there. And it was the anxiety of tomorrow, it was the depression that was weighing on my heart, it was all the adrenaline that had built up over the years, the weariness of having babies, thank you Sam and Andrew, that's on you, the weariness of a new job, of a new challenge, that brought me to a place where I couldn't keep doing it the way I was doing it. And one of the things I want to say right off the bat is that the, the, the church has not always done a good job of saying that in places and seasons like that, there is an answer beside just go pray about it. Because I, I had faith. I had been praying about it, but that wasn't fixing what was going on inside. And sometimes it's this crazy thing happens where the church, which is meant to be a community of people that love God and love one another, has become this place where you feel like you have to put a mask and a facade on and pretend to be more perfect than you really are so that you can be accepted by other people who are pretending to be more perfect than they really are. So we can all maintain this facade of being somebody that we were never expected to be. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you that's not the church? That's a version of the church. That's a version of the church, but it's not what they God ever intended it to be. And so when I finally came to that place, thank God I had people in my life that, that came alongside me. I went and I saw a counselor. Uh, I was told that I had to make some friends. And it wasn't that I didn't have acquaintances, it's that there's a difference between an acquaintance and a friend because I was so afraid to really be open and trust people that I had people around me but I was all closed up. And that began a journey over the next five or six years of getting into a life group. One of the scariest things I've ever done as a pastor is, is started a life group and then actually was honest and real with other people. Started a life group. I started to, started to learn more about where that anxiety, where that depression was coming from. And I, and I need to say this. Listen to me, please. There is a level of anxiety and depression that any of us can get to that requires you to go get help from, from a professional. There's a level of anxiety and depression that can become clinical and you may need medication. You may need to talk to a counselor. Th those don't make you a horrible person. Yeah. But I also want to suggest that there are other levels of anxiety and depression, kind of like there's a breeze and there's a thunderstorm and there's a tornado. When the tornado hits, you need to run for the hills and get some help. But all of us are going to experience storms and the breeze of anxiety and depression that comes and ebbs and flows. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And I'm not here to say, just go pray about it. I'm not here to say, well, just trust God. And I'm not here to say, fake it. What I am here to say, though, is that if the story and the narrative of the Bible is true, then, then Jesus was a real person who really lived and really died and then really rose from the grave to be evidenced by hundreds of witnesses and never historically disproven that he really did. That if that's truly the story of the Bible, then we, we do serve a God who is powerful and able to, to, to encounter your life and my life in a way that's bigger than, than the anxiety and the depression that we're walk into it today. I want you if, you, if you happen to have a Bible, and if you don't, it's okay, because we're going to put these on the screen, because this is, with, with three simple verses, I want to I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about, about how, um, how I've been learning to think about wrestling with the anxiety and depression that I would wrestle with, and that people I love wrestle with. And it's in first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen, it goes like this. 
going to read the whole thing. I think it's broken up on the screens. So we're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to come back verse by verse. So the Bible says we don't lose heart. Though our outer self, everybody say outer self. Outer self. Come on, some of you didn't do it. Outer self. Outer self. Is wasting away our inner self, say inner self, inner is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things are temporary, the things that are unseen are eternal. So, verse 18, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. One of the first things I want to say to you today is that before we talk about anxiety and depression, I want to put one more word out there that I want to speak to you about, and that's this word called shame. See, anxiety and depression are like a, can be like a chain that gets wrapped around you, but shame is the lock that prevents you from ever getting out. Yeah. Because the difference between feeling guilty and feeling ashamed is this. When you feel guilty, you feel bad for what you've done. When you feel ashamed, you feel bad for who you are. Guilty means I feel bad for what I've done. Ashamed means I feel bad for who I am. And if you're in this place today and you're wrestling with anxiety or depression, but somehow you've come to the point of thinking, well, well, I'm, I'm ashamed of who I am because of what I'm wrestling with. Can I tell you today that if you can step out of that and recognize that it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Let me say it again. It's okay not to be okay. Can you say it with me? It's okay not to be okay. Then we can, we can begin the journey to step out of, I'll never forget, I had moved to a new place. I was, at a, I was serving in a new church. We were in Los Angeles, California. One of the things that we used to do here, one of the things that Pastor Bert used to do, who's my pastor, he used to be the pastor, the lead pastor of this church. One of the things he used to do after a meeting or after we would pray, is after we were all gathered together in a circle, he would just spontaneously start singing. And then everybody would join in. It would be like this powerful moment of everybody singing. It's really awesome. And I went to this new church, and I was with new people, people I didn't know. And we had a staff meeting, and there were about 25, 30 people gathered around, and we were all holding hands. And we were praying. And as we were praying, I thought, oh, man. We need one of those singing moments. <laughs> and so I was waiting for the prayer to be done. And you have to understand, I'm not a solo singer. <laughs> like, like, when I sing, we need a healing service to immediately follow. If somebody's hurt. <laughs> But I felt like we're praying, I'm the new guy, I want to set the tone, and I'm thinking what we need right now is one of those singing moments. And I thought, if I just get us going, everybody's going to join in and we're going to have this chorus, this choir of worship before God, it's going to be amazing. And so we're standing around in the sanctuary, we're holding hands, I'm the new guy, and, and finally the, the pastor says, amen, and I say, I love you, Lord. Nobody else. <laughs> and then I was faced with this dilemma. I felt like God wanted me to do this. Nobody else is singing, so do I keep singing or do I just punt? <laughs> but I'm not a quitter, so you know what I do. <laughs> and I As a solo, in front of people I had only known for weeks. And I remember, I don't know if you believe in the rapture that someday Jesus is going to come back and take us to heaven, but while I was singing, I've never prayed so hard simultaneously. And I remember, I remember in that, I thought, this is not how I wanted to be introduced. 
to my new team, my new community of people. And the reality was just that simple thing brought this weight on my life thinking, they're never going to respect you. Who do you think you are? Can I tell you, it's moments like that where shame can take us out before we even get started. And I don't want shame to take you out before we even get started. I want you to listen to, to God's word. And I want to share just three simple things for you that I hope will resonate in your heart. I hope that God will use these words to encourage you, instruct you, heal you, or maybe even do something in you that you didn't even think you could. The first thing is this. We read it in verse 16. The Apostle Paul, who's writing to this church, says, So we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Let me say it again. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Here's the first thing. The Bible teaches that there is always going to be a tension between your outer self and your inner self. That there's always going to be a wrestling between your outer self and your inner self. The Bible teaches that when God created man, he created them to live forever and for their spirits and their souls, that stuff that's on the inside of you, to work seamlessly integrated with your body and for everything about your life to be peace and flourishing and creativity and progress. And when sin entered in, the Bible says that, that that's when then everything got broken. Our spirits got broken and our bodies got broken. And because of that, instead of people living forever, people started to die. And the whole story of the Bible leads up to this place where Jesus comes to do something about your, your, your inner self. But the Bible says your outer self is still wasting away. Your outer self is still going to die. There's still things that your body longs for that it will never be satisfied. And that, that tension goes on until we see Jesus face to face. So the first thing I want you to realize is that that the Bible tells a story that even Christians, the most Christian of Christians, whatever that means, are still struggling and wrestling between this tension between the outer man and the inner man. You don't ever mature out of that. You just, listen to me, mature through that. I was listening to a story on NPR. Anybody know what NPR is? I don't know how that qualifies me. It's a news thing. And it's not Christian news, okay? is one of the leading scientists who's studying aging. What, why our bodies, as we get older, start to fall apart. It hasn't happened to me yet, but I've heard it happens to other people. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, what we learn by studying aging at a molecular level, at the level of the, the, the smallest pieces, this is what he says, that our bodies are made to reproduce, that our, that our cells die every day, but, but they get reproduced every day, and that's what keeps you alive, that's what keeps you fresh, that's why you can get a wound and it can be healed, because there's this constant reproduction happening of cells in your body that renews and renews. But he says what we, our understanding is that what happens when you age is that those cells that are supposed to be copied so that you get an exact photocopy when new cells are made. Those copies over time get blurred. And he says literally what's happening is that as you age, the reason you get wrinkles and gray hair and things that used to be standing up straight start sagging a little lower is that the cells in your bodies that are reproducing and supposed to be making an exact copy to stay renewed, the copies get blurred, and at the, the level of your cells, your identity is wasting away. And he says, so I'm convinced of this, that aging is not what we were created to do. It's a disease that I'm trying to cure. Do you know what the Bible says? That you were created in the image of God to live forever. And that even at a molecular level, the image of God is present, but sin marred that image, and that's what science is validating even to this day, and that's why things are falling apart. Yeah. But the good news is, is that 
Our inner person can be renewed day by day, but listen to me, it's a struggle, and it will always be a struggle. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, everybody is broken. Everybody is broken. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and tell them, the pastor is broken. Wow, you said that really confidently. It's always a struggle. Here's the second thing, verse 17. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for, for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Here's the second thing the Bible teaches about anxiety and depression. Is that the anxiety and depression that any of us would face today, in some part, is... Is, is an affliction that is also pointing us to a future reality that God is preparing for us. Let me say it like this. There's a scientist named Dr. Richard Brand, and he was offered a prestigious fellowship at a famous hospital. And while he was making that decision, he learned about leprosy, and he, he ended up spending some time with lepers. And rather than taking this prestigious fellowship and making a lot of money, he decided to dedicate his life to curing or helping people with leprosy. And what he discovered about leprosy is that if we don't see him much anymore because of his work, but that, that the thing that leprosy did is that people used to think that leprosy used to eat away at your body because people who were lepers who had this disease would have sores and wounds that would that wouldn't heal. But what he discovered is that what leprosy actually did is it, it prevented people from feeling and experiencing pain. And because they couldn't experience pain, if you put your hand on the hot burner on the stove but you can't feel it, what happens? You don't pull away. If you, if you step on a nail while you're walking across the parking lot and that nail is sticking into your foot, if you can't feel the pain, then you just keep on walking and it keeps tearing you up. If you break a bone but you can't feel the brokenness of your own body, then you just keep walking on it or you keep using it until it dislocates and becomes worse than it was to begin with. And he went on to write a book called The Gift of Pain. Because he said what we oftentimes don't realize is that the pain and the struggle that we, that, we, that we experience in life is many times the one thing that points to this reality that something isn't the way it's supposed to be. And if nothing was telling us that things aren't the way they were supposed to be, we would never know that something needs to change. And nobody can simplify what what it means or why you, you or somebody you love might be dealing with anxiety or depression. But, but I also want to suggest to you that because there's a struggle going on in this life, one of the things that anxiety and depression points to is that there's something in my soul, in my inner man, that is not the way it's supposed to be. And rather than saying anxiety and depression are things that we just need to eradicate from our lives, let me suggest to you that on the other side of your anxiety muscle is a peace muscle. And on the other side of your depression muscle is a joy muscle. And then one of the ways that we learn to confront and address and press into the struggle with anxiety and depression is to realize that when I'm anxious, it might be an indicator that I'm lacking the peace of God in my life. And it may not just be because of my circumstances. It may not just be because of something that somebody else has said to me, but it may be something that has more to do with a peace that I am looking for in something that can never really provide it. And that anxiety is reminding me that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding, but it's not in anything that this world can offer. See, here's, here's the fact of the matter. In this world, there are many things that will promise to save you 
and give you the good life. Think about it with me for a second. Think about all the things in this world that tell us day in and day out, if you just have this, then you're going to be happy and you're going to be popular and life's going to be amazing. Can you think of any of those things? How about succeeding in athletics? I know when I was growing up, it was always about being on the best team, being a starter, and always winning. And that drove me because I thought that if I could be on the best team and I could win, then something inside of me felt better than it did when I was losing. Anybody feel better winning than losing? A few people. And see, part of that is really good, but let me give you one example. For many of us, and certainly for me, it wasn't really about winning and losing. Do you know what really was driving me? Is I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to prove myself because I thought my mom and dad were so successful. I wanted to prove that I could be successful. And so making the team and winning the game wasn't really about winning. It was about being accepted. And the reality was, the reality was, no matter how many times I won and no matter how many times I lost, I still never felt as accepted as I wanted to feel. Or how about this? Being beautiful. I mean, this is one I've dealt with. <laughs> You know, I mean, I've got natural beauty, but I work at it too. And how many times is our day impacted because of something we see on the media, something we see on social media, an image, a post, of something that triggers something in our heart that all of a sudden that, that depression starts to settle in because we don't look like we think we should look. We don't look like the airbrushed version of somebody that isn't even really a real image of a real person. It's a doctored up version that's given us something to look at and everybody who looks at it doesn't feel like they measure up because somebody wants us to buy something that promises to help us look like what we think we should look like. But the fact, here's the point. The point is, is that in this life, friends and money and pleasure, even religion can become this counterfeit God that promises, if you'll just serve me, then you'll feel good about yourself. But the problem is, how many beautiful people have you talked to that still look in the mirror and think, I'm a wreck? How many athletes have been drafted and signed multi-million dollar contracts and then weeks or months or a couple years later their life is absolutely falling apart because it wasn't enough for them. Listen, loved ones, this world is filled with things that will promise you the world, the life, the hope that you're longing for, but as soon as you grasp for them, they'll move a little bit farther away and keep you in a perpetual state of not having enough. And when you pursue those things to bring you life, you will, you will sink into a hopelessness knowing that you can never really get there. But the Bible says that this momentary affliction is pointing us to something that's eternal beyond all comparison. Here's the last thing that I want to say. Is that in the midst of that temptation, that thing that surrounds all of us, that promises to give us the good life. This is what the Apostle Paul says we ought to do. He says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. To the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Who's my keyboard guy? Chandler, where are you at? Can you go up here? Can we give it up for Chandler? Awesome piano player, you don't have anything to prove. In the midst of this, I want to suggest to you that that for some of us at some times the recognition of the pain, the anxiety, the depression that you may face, while it's not where God wants you to live, 
if you can feel anxiety, then you can experience peace because that muscle is alive. If you can be depressed, you can be joyful because that muscle is alive. I remember my dad, when he was alive, he, uh, this one Thanksgiving, he got on this kick because, because he remembered the mock apple pie that his his grandma would make for them at Thanksgiving time. And uh, so he he looked at this recipe online and so I'm gonna make this for Thanksgiving, it's amazing, it's my favorite thing. And he made mock apple pie, and mock apple pie is apple pie, but instead of apples, it's saltine crackers. Or Ritz crackers. Are you tracking with me? Do you know what apple pie is? Take the apples out and put Ritz crackers in. And he, he made mock apple pie. I remember we all sat around the table at Thanksgiving and uh, he, he dished it up and we all took a bite and we all took a bite. He was so excited. We all took a bite. And, you know, it was sinful. <laughs> and we were all so thankful because my dad took one bite and he went, so he called his mom and he said, Mom, what was that thing that my that grandma used to make? And she said, oh, Dutch apple pie? <laughs> Dutch apple pie is just apple pie with more brown sugar on top. <laughs> but, but, one of the, but I knew that that mock apple pie was not the way it was supposed to be. Because listen, because I tasted and seen the real thing. take somebody who's never had apple pie before and you give them mock apple pie, well that's apple pie. Listen, when you experience anxiety and depression, please understand this. That everybody's broken and the, and the struggle will continue, but that doesn't mean that you're doomed. It means there's something that God's wanting to do in your life. There's a, there's a mock apple pie that you've tasted and it hasn't measured up to your expectations, but that doesn't mean that what you expect isn't out there somewhere. In fact, the fact that you're longing for it is an indication that it's out there somewhere. You just have to find where it is and where the real thing is that can satisfy. What the Apostle Paul says is that that real thing that we long for is not in the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. See, the things that we that we long for, the things that we need more than anything, are the things that are eternal, the love and the hope that only God can give. And although there are all these things that say, trust me, give your life to me, and yet leave us anxious and depressed. The story of the Bible for, for 39 chapters in the Old Testament is the story of a people who tried to live life on their own, and every time they did, they ended up defeated, imprisoned, in bondage, and suffering. And in every chapter of those 39 books, there's a story that's unfolding, pointing to the day when somebody would come and save them. Somebody who would come who was powerful, who was loving, who was righteous, who was just. Somebody who was coming to make things right and renew and restore what was broken. See, the gospel is not... You need to live a good life so that you will fit in with church people. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that I was in prison to my, my own pursuits and, and I was chasing after mock apple pie and every time I got it, I was disappointed. And even though everybody else was saying that's the way it was supposed to be, it never satisfied this soul. And the story of the Bible is that that God saw humanity, the people that he created, 
and loved them so much that he broke through and broke in to their humanity so that what was unseen could be seen and they could not only hear but they could know the love of the Father. And let me ask you, would you trust somebody? Would you trust somebody who was able to live their life and never compromise? Because they were so satisfied. They were so secure in their own identity. They were so settled in their own peace that when the storm was raging all around them, they could sleep in the bottom of the boat because their heart was more connected to a heavenly reality than the earthly chaos around them. And he lived with all the temptations. And yet he never bowed because his heart was so at peace, so in tune with the Father. Would you trust that person? Would you trust a person that had no need whatsoever to to grasp for power or lord it over or control anybody to suit their wishes. In fact, they had all the power in the world, in the universe, and yet they gave up that power to humble themselves and become like me and you. So that you could see and understand, so that he could be with you and not just sit in the palace, but walk among us. Would you trust that person? Would you trust somebody who says, I want you to know the Father I know so much that I'm willing to be separated from my Father so that you'll never have to be. See, the gospel is this, is that the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the heart of what the Bible says, your Father in heaven became real, became manifest when Jesus walked in. And the good news of the gospel is not, well, I better get it right so I can prove myself to God. No, the good news of the gospel is because God has proven himself to me and changed me, that's what changes the way I think about everything else in this life. The gospel is improve yourself and live differently so God will love you. The gospel is when you encounter the heights and the depths of the love of God by faith, you can't help but live different. Because if, when you've been loved by the God of the universe, then it just doesn't seem so important to impress all the people around you. It doesn't mean they don't matter. But listen, when I walk into a room, there's one woman that I'm interested in what they think of me. This one. And if she looks at me and gives me a little winky wink, <laughs> you know why? Because she's committed to me. We have a covenant relationship. And I love all y'all. But none of your opinions matter as much as hers. You may not like my hat. But as long as she's good with it, I'm good. Do you know the love of God, when you really know the love of God, it's that life-changing that other people's opinions affects you, but it's not the ultimate opinion because his is so much greater. Do you know that the love of God can affect you in such a way that when your tension, because you don't know how your future is going to unfold and you feel the pressure of grades and all those things that, that you know are coming, that do you know that, that the, the love of God is so powerful that when you lean into that, when you trust in His love, and His love becomes great in your life because you know that connected to His love is His covenant promise to never leave you and never forsake you, that you can look at the future that seems uncertain to you, and although there's still a little bit of tummy ache that may come with that, it doesn't wreck you quite so much because 
Because if God is good and he's promised to take care of you, then it may be a struggle, but I'm going to be okay because the Father is with you. And the gospel is that God loved you so much that he literally allowed his son to come and die an excruciating death so that you would never have to say he doesn't understand what I'm going through and I want to suggest to you that, that when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane praying so in turmoil that he was sweating drops of blood that he knew a thing or two about anxiety. And it didn't make him any less God. But he struggled through. He trusted the Father. And ultimately, the Father was faithful. And the Father will be faithful to you. And the Bible says that there is something that is unseen. It requires faith. It requires trust. It requires believing that there's, there's something more than what you can taste, touch, see, and do. My hope for you today is that you would learn to slay the giant of anxiety and depression because you would realize that you're not the one who can slay it, but he can, and he's with you. And if you walk close with him, then, then when those giants come, you'll never be alone. Yeah, that's right. I want to end with this story, one more story. Before my grandpa Bauer passed away, he was six foot seven and had a patch over one eye. We called him Pirate Grandpa. He got, he got his eye poked out when he was sword fighting as a little boy. He grew up on a farm in Idaho, had a football scholarship. His dad died when he was 16 years old, and so he fought, skipped the football scholarship, and from the age of, I think, 15 or 16, he ran a farm. He was a man's man. He was six foot seven, 300 pounds, all muscle. My uncle, his only son, told me a story one time when the neighbor boys, the boys from the neighbor farm had come over, and they always wanted to pick a fight with John, that's the only son. And the four neighbor boys had come over and they'd come to fight and so John ran and got his dad, my grandpa, and they met them on the road. And while they stood there on the road facing off against these, these big burly farm boys, my grandpa, six foot seven, and, and his son, who was 13 or 14 years old, John, his son, looked at him and said, standing facing off to these boys, he says, hey, Grant, hey, Dad, do you want me to go get the axe handles? <laughs> so we have a weapon, not an axe, okay, it wasn't like that, but just a stick. This is what my grandpa said. There were four boys that had come to fight. He said, yeah, John. He said it loud enough so they could hear. He said, get four and give one to each of them to make this a fair fight. <laughs> they went home. <laughs> Listen, anxiety and depression are going to come to pick a fight with you. And there may be a point in time where you realize that you need help. And listen, if you don't know what to do, if you feel trapped, if you feel stuck, talk to a leader. And our leaders are here to support you, to love you. And, and if they recognize that you need more help than they have to give, we'll help you make that connection with somebody who can walk with you through whatever it is. Because there is, listen to me please, a purpose that makes your life worth fighting for, yeah. worth struggling for. Yeah. You are not here by accident. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was thinking about your life and your destiny. 
and the Father's love for you, a love that's greater than anything this world can offer. And when he died and rose from the grave, witnessed by hundreds, never disproven, did it so that you could have more than mock apple pie. And if you would trust that story by faith, then you can begin to experience the life, the healing, the purpose. And listen, this isn't a church where if you say yes to Jesus, well, you better get your act together before you come back next week. This is a church that says, when you say yes to Jesus, let's walk together, let's struggle through this together, let's figure this out together, let's, let's figure out what God says about this together, and, and none of us are perfect, all of us are broken, but together we can serve. I mean, look at how messed up the pastor is, so you fit in, if you'll trust, if you'll trust, you'll experience that very same Would you bow your heads? If you're a guest here today, this is uh, this is a private moment. The reason we bow our heads is to give everybody the opportunity to respond. Nothing secret is happening, and really, it's just a moment to make a decision if you want to make a decision. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who He says He is, that you too can be saved. You too. And start that relationship with him, one that he would not force upon you, but one that he stands waiting for you to enter into, and then he comes to your son to begin to help. If you've never said yes to Jesus, but you want more than mock apple pie in your life, you need somebody, the one, the king, the most faithful father you could ever know to. you where you are. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to say yes. And I promise there's not just one. 